Welcome to the official Barclays Premier League podcast, brought to you by Barclays. After an incredible day at Anfield, Liverpool dare to dream. <sighs> emotional, but need to keep calm. Still four big games to come, but that meant so much. While the blue half of Merseyside have their sights set firmly on Europe. It's not easy to achieve that in the modern game. I always said that the Barkers Premier League is the, the most demanding and, and the most competitive in world football, so to be able to get that winning streak is quite impressive. And we find out how the hard work under Felix Magat is finally paying off. We're prepared to do anything to stay in the league. If that means no days off and hard work, then so be it. We speak exclusively to Fulham captain Breda Hangeland as they attempt another great escape. We hear from Stephen Gerrard and Brendan Rodgers after a pivotal win against title rival City and ask former Reds defender John Scales if this could finally be Liverpool's year. Former Spurs skipper Gary Mabbott explains the pressures of leading a top-flight side in the Barclays Premier League. Plus, we hear from John Terry, Neil Adams and many more. and welcome to the official Barclays Premier League podcast. I'm Jackie Oatley and joining me to look back on another key weekend of top flight action is the former Liverpool and Spurs defender, John Scales. Hi, John. Hi. So, an emotional weekend for everybody concerned with football in the 25th anniversary of Hillsborough. Every match kicked off seven minutes late and there's some really moving tributes. Yeah, it was just fantastic to see. I mean, a spine-tingling atmosphere at Anfield, as you would expect. What was great about the weekend was how just football came together and, and showed respect, paid respect, and you had that humility across the Barclays Premier League, and, and I think that was really great to see all the fans do that in, in the way that, you know, it was such an emotional day, and of course it is for the 25-year uh, anniversary. Good for the players, good for the club, and, and good for football generally. There was a minute's silence, of course, across the country before all the matches. And as part of our hashtag YouAreFootball campaign, some great shows of sportsmanship, both on and off the pitch. Yeah, I think that's what's nice, isn't it? That, you know, so much speculation, so much intensity, so much scrutiny on everything about football and, and often, you know, the negatives are highlighted. But I think when you look at the Barclays Premier League and you have a moment like that this weekend across the country so many times, it does, it, it brings the faith back into the game about what it means to the whole of the football community, which is so important in this country. And Everybody supported it, of course, particularly the Newcastle fans who showed some banners in their match at Stoke, which we'll come on to later. But, of course, we're going to start off with that game at Anfield. And it was billed in advance as a title decider, and it certainly didn't disappoint at the entertainment stakes. Liverpool edging a five-goal thriller against rivals Manchester City to move two points clear at the top of the table. And what a match. Did you expect it to be quite so exciting? Well, I think it's, uh, you know, everybody I spoke to, me included, you know, watching the game, it was just, it was breathless, it was anxious. It was everything you want for in a, in a sort of a, a game that's built in many ways as a title decider. It certainly isn't, but it was certainly gone a long way for Liverpool to put it still in their hands. It's theirs to win. I don't know if it's theirs to lose, but of course it, it goes by default that it is. Um, to beat Manchester City, I think, you know, having gone two goals ahead, put themselves in the driving seat, scoring in the, in the first half that we've seen so often, but to bounce back, you know, from, from conceding the two goals and the pressure really was on. And I think, you know, to react in the way they did and to score that third goal says a lot about the club, about the players and about, fundamentally for me, Brendan Rodgers because the job that he's done there to keep them focused but to keep them playing the way they are, to keep the positivity about the intensity and the cohesive way they play. You know, you've got to put a lot of effort on the training ground. You've got to have the players totally believing in the manager. And again, it's all about the club pulling in the same direction. You can't underestimate the impact that uh, Kenny Dalglish has had either. You know, he came in, he stabilised the club, 
Brendan took over, but you just see that everybody, the fans, the manager, Kenny Dalglish, the owners, everybody involved is pulling together and they, they've just got this relentless drive towards the title. But, you know, will it be enough? It's going to be tough. It was an emotional day, of course, for the red side of Merseyside, as we've already mentioned, but none more so than for their inspirational captain, Stephen Gerrard. <sighs> it's emotional. Emotional, but need to keep calm. Still four big games to come, but... That meant so much, especially when, you know, they got back into the game and you fear the worst at that point. But I think we've showed today that we're going to go to the wire, we're going to go all the way. You know, nothing's won yet, but that was a, probably the biggest statement we've made so far. That was the longest 90 minutes I've probably ever played in. Kept flashing back to how long the clock was taking, you know, in cup finals and, and big games I've played in before. But, you know, it felt like the clock was going backwards at some part of that game. That is such a big result for us. Um, we've got four, four cup finals left. You know, people said that was the biggest one, but I disagree. I think the biggest one now is Norwich. Well, Gerard was... They appeared to be in tears after that match. It was clearly a really emotional day and an emotional victory for his side. Were you surprised by quite how he celebrated at the end? Yeah, I was because, you know, you don't often see that outpouring of emotion at the end of a game in an interview. Everything's quite controlled and contrived in many ways. And I think that was as refreshing a, a sight, I think, for, for anybody to see. You know, it showed exactly what football meant. You know, Stephen Jarrod lost his cousin who was 10, one of the youngest, I think probably the youngest one in Hillsborough. You know, it means a lot to him. He's the local boy who's gone on to captain Liverpool and been an absolute inspirational figure, as we all know. And to have that spontaneous outpouring of emotion at the end of the game and get the players together, you could hear there at the end, obviously, in the interview, you know, it's almost, a, you know, he's reminding himself as much as reminding the team, you know, he's trying to keep himself grounded as the leader of the team and the club and saying all the right things, you know, as Brendan Rogers has, you know, it's the next game. And, and they're absolutely right. You know, that was the biggest game. But, you know, the next game is the, the biggest game, Norwich. We'll talk about the run-in in just a moment, John. But an interesting stat from that game. There are a few. In the Barclays Premier League this season, Liverpool have scored 56 first-half goals more than any other side. And Manchester City have scored 49 second-half goals more than any other side. And that's exactly how the game went, wasn't it? But in terms of the standout players, there were a few. Who were the ones for you? Sterling, you know, has he had the time out of the team. We wondered whether he was just sort of burst on the scene and, and he wasn't going to be a consistent player. I think even, you know, one or two people around Liverpool were thinking, you know, is this a youngster who, who is going to lose his way? He's had some trouble off the field, but what an outstanding talent he is. Uh, and he's coming in, he looks mature, he looks skillful, he look, you know, he's a diminutive figure, but he had an outstanding game. Coutinho has come in and he's he's been brilliant uh, and that's showing consistency. I think those two stood out, of course, Gerard did. But from City's point of view, I think Pellegrini did get it wrong. I think he, you know, he would have, should have played with Milner or Garcia from the start. He obviously was forced into the change with Yaya Chori going over. But for me, their standout play was David Silva. I thought he was absolutely outstanding. Well, let's hear from the mastermind behind what was Liverpool's 10th Barclays Premier League win in a row, their manager, Brendan Rodgers, who gave huge credit to the supporters. On TV, it probably sounded loud, but but down on pitch side, it was, it was incredible. So, uh, so really, between us all, supporters, players, staff, it was a great victory for us. You know, the expectancy of this football club is a challenge every day. Our objective is to stay where we are. There's no question about that. And we've been put under pressure in numbers of weeks. Every game, every big game that we've played has always been a pressure game. But you see the level and the, the quality of our football was, was fantastic today. So uh, we're clearly coping with it. They're doing all right, aren't they? Decent stat for you here. Liverpool have won all five home meetings with fellow members of the top seven so far this season, scoring 17 and conceding three. Broad grin from John Scales. The last four fixtures now. Norwich City away, Chelsea at home, Crystal Palace away, 
followed by and finishing off with Newcastle at home. If they win all four, it's their first title in 24 years. Simple. Nice and simple. <laughs> <laughs> nice and simple. I mean, look, Norwich away... Suarez has got a phenomenal record away at Norwich, but, you know, I think a little bit of the gloom and whatever around Norwich has been lifted, but they're in serious problems. Two points above relegation. Fulham, you know, I think could possibly pick up some points and, you know, Norwich are going to be under pressure. So it's going to be a tense game, but you look beyond that and, and Chelsea, of course, is the standout game that is it winner takes all, but Crystal Palace, Newcastle, it's, it's going to be, you know, so tough with the running and you can make a case for and against, you know, all those teams. What Liverpool do, you know, you talked about their stats of 56 first half goals. I mean, they blow teams away you know, in the first half. And they've got to keep that level absolutely the same. And it's having that positive outlook on the game and, and start and continue as they have been all season. As for Manchester City, manager Manuel Pellegrini refuses to give up on the title just yet. I think that we are continue fighting. Nothing finished today. If Liverpool win the four games that they have to play and they win three, 13 or 14 games in a row, well, they deserve to be the, the champion. If they don't win the four games, we are going to be. So, as I said before the game, and I repeat after the game, the title didn't finish today. It was very important for now to win the three points. I think that we deserve better, best luck or better result. But football is made of, of these things. It's certainly not over just yet. That defeat leaves them seven points behind Liverpool, but they do have two games in hand. Now, they have Sunderland at home, West Brom at home, Crystal Palace away, Everton away, Villa at home and West Ham at home. Palace and Everton are the two games that stand out there. Palace away... Everton away, I think, you know, are very, very tough for them. The number of games, you know, an extra two games to play, that's never easy. Key for me is, you know, Yaya Torre. That's a, that's a big blow, you know. He, they're talking about him potentially being out for the rest of the season. And if that's, that's the case, then I think that could well be the end of their, their title challenge. I, I think there's a chance for... Liverpool to, to win the title with dropping two points, drawing the game against Chelsea. I think 87 points might win it. That means, you know, City have got to win every game and hope for slip-ups. So it is all to play for, but I think City are going to find it difficult. But look, you know, four of those home games, I think they can blow them away. It's what they do at uh, Palace and Everton. Well, talking of Chelsea, as you did just then, they travelled to South Wales a little later on Sunday, knowing that nothing less than a win would do for them to keep their title hopes alive. And they did get the three points, but only just beating 10-man Swansea 1-0 thanks to a second-half Denver bar strike. It wasn't the most convincing of performances, but it was a Mourinho performance. They got the job done. Yeah, it's the Mourinho factor, isn't it? You know, we talked about Manchester United last year, Ferguson, you know, he gets that much more out of a team performance and getting results and knowing how to win. And this Chelsea team, you know, know how to do it. And they're, they're going to be right in there till the end. Well, let's hear from the Chelsea captain now, John Terry, who was happy with how things unfolded in the earlier game on Sunday. Probably looking at the result, it's probably the one we wanted, really, um, even though Liverpool are flying. But it was important, you know, the manager said before the game, regardless of that result, if we don't win our games, it make it very easy for them to... We've won our game and the pressure's, you know, still on the on, on the teams above and, and below us. Um, it's obviously out of our hands at the moment. We need City to, to draw or lose a game. We've still got to go to Anfield, so it's a massive end to the season for everyone. Huge end to the season for them. Do you think he means it when he was happy that Liverpool won? Yeah, I think he probably was, because I think... Mourinho would have geared the team up because Mourinho doesn't leave anything to chance. He, you know, he's one step ahead all the time and I think he probably suspected that Liverpool would win the game. Mourinho will have learned a lot from City going to Liverpool. I think it'll go to you know, Anfield, Mourinho, and he'll, he'll set up the team much more compact in the middle of midfield because that's where teams get overrun. And I think from that perspective, that's now going to be the intriguing game. 
Well, they have those Champions League semi-final matches either side either of that side, match yeah. in Anfield, don't they? So how much of a benefit is that to Liverpool? Oh, it's a benefit, no doubt about it, because, you know, uh, having that second leg just a few days after the Liverpool game, the focus is going to be very much on the semi-finals of the Champions League sandwiched in the, in the middle of that. Yeah, it, it depends on the first leg against Atletico, but it does work in... Liverpool's favour, as I said before, you know, there, there is that bit that Liverpool haven't played European football. We've seen what playing in the Europa League has done for Swansea, for example, you know, and other teams. It is very tough. Uh, it's the same for Chelsea. It, it puts bigger demands on a bigger squad, but they do have those resources with a bigger squad. So you can answer it in that way as well. Well, speaking of Swansea, that defeat leaves them just three points above the relegation zone. And their manager, Gary Monk, knows they've still got plenty of work to do. We're not safe, clearly not safe, and we're in desperate need of, um, of points. But just said to the players there at the end is to make sure they don't walk out of that change room disappointed because you know, what they've just given me today and given the fans out there who are magnificent, by the way, um, was a real lift today. We needed a reaction from Hull. OK, we didn't get the, the result that we wanted or, or the points from it that we probably deserved. But if we take that same attitude and desire into the last four games, um, I'm pretty sure that we'll be fine. There were reports of a, a bit of disharmony in the camp before that game. They lost their defender, of course, Chico Flores, very early on. But do you see them staying up, ultimately? I do. That concerns me when, you know, you hear stories of disharmony and unrest within a within a dressing room. Gary Monk's got a very tough job. I mean, Chico Flores was, I felt, unlucky to be, to be sent off. But, you know, when things are going against you, bad luck seems to follow. So it's, it's difficult for Swansea. They're, they're in a very vulnerable position. You know, they've got Wilfred Boney and Michu and, you know, Routledge. They, they've got great, talented players, but they've just lost their way. It's difficult, but look, I think Swansea have got too much quality and they've got goals in them, which is key for me. Mm. And their last four fixtures for Swansea. Newcastle away, they have their problems. Aston Villa at home, they've got a few too. Southampton at home and Sunderland away. To the Stadium of Light next, where Everton made its seven league wins in a row with a narrow 1-0 victory over bottom of the table Sunderland. So that now, John, is a combined 17 league wins in a row for the two Merseyside clubs. Extraordinary. It's phenomenal what Everton have done and everything, of course, leads back to Martinez. What an incredible job he's done there. David Moyes leaving and Martinez coming in with a team that renowned for struggling to spend money and being able to spend money in the market. But to be under the pressure to having to chase Arsenal down, uh, get this fourth Champions League spot, I thought it was a step too far for them, what, probably a month ago. But, uh, you know, this run that they've got themselves on and, and another uh, win, be it an own goal from Wes Brown, it was, it was just... What's everything great about Everton at the moment? You know we love a stat on this podcast, so come on, here we go. It's Everton's longest winning streak in Barclays Premier League history and their longest since April 1987, wow. which was, of course, the last time they won mm. the title. It was fairly even, apart from that Wes Brown own goal, the only real difference between the two sides. But let's hear from Everton's Stephen Naismith, who was asked if Everton could hold on to fourth spot. Definitely. Um, we, we believe we can. We've got another game in Wednesday that we look forward to and again that'll bring up different challenges for us um, but we're ready for the fight and, and that's all the manager can ask for us. The manager's made it clear it's about the squad and our Kevin Morelis was unfortunate to miss out today but Jerry comes in and effectively wins us the game um, with his, his dribbling ability and putting their defence under pressure um, so it just shows you that we do need everybody. It's a long season so if I can play my part I'm, I'll, I'll be delighted. 
He's certainly playing his part at the moment, Stephen Naismith. Everton have already broken their record for the most points in a season in the Barclays Premier League era after surpassing the 65 points that they managed in 2007-2008. Yeah, it, I mean, I think that's an even greater stat, actually, than seven wins in a row. You know, looking at that, 65 points already. I think that's a fantastic achievement. And, and it points to, again, you know, the job that he's done there. The fact, you know, you look at Ross Barkley, I think, has been a, had a fantastic season and he's blossomed and flourished within this team. And the way that they're playing and the fact that you know people like Naismith have been out and then they come in and to have that ability to have players on the fringes who then come in and make an impact and contribute to the team that says a lot for a, a manager because it's a, a dressing room is never an easy place to to manage and work with and to do that and to, to keep them on on track is the way that uh, he is they're doing brilliantly now they're running five fixtures or four if you're listening to us after Wednesday night because they play Crystal Palace at home in a rearranged fixture Manchester United at home a fascinating one against David Moyes mm. Southampton away who lost of course to Cardiff at home at the weekend Manchester City at home have the title to play for and Hull City away who have an FA Cup final coming mm. up yeah, I mean, the Man United game stands out, doesn't it? What a game that's going to be. You know, David Moyes going back to Everton and he's already lost at home to Everton and, you know, that record, the points record. We would never have thought that United would be going there as, as underdogs, but I think Everton are going to hold on. As for Sunderland, this was their fifth defeat in a row. They remain firmly rooted to the bottom of the table. Seven points from safety now. Their manager, Gus Poyet, has been ruining his side's recent bad luck. It's been uh, four or five games when I came here in the beginning. You know, the ones that we couldn't win, that maybe we were very close to win, that can change your season, the, the timings. Sometimes just these defeats are coming in, in a terrible moment. And, uh, but that's the story of the season. Something always happened that goes against you. It could be a non-goal, a deflected shot. Now, when you are at the top, it goes for you. And when you are at the bottom, it doesn't, and, and it hurts. Yeah, it hurts a lot. I think the idea is uh, to give, uh, you know, every single fan here and, and the club what they deserve. You know, being professional and, and trying your best to the last minute until it's a, as a possibility. Yeah, Manchester City away midweek, so this Wednesday night. Then Chelsea away. They don't concede too many. Cardiff at home. Manchester City oh, away. Yeah. Manchester United away. West Brom home and Swansea home to finish off. Most people are saying now they think it's beyond Sunderland. They do have those couple of games in hand. Is it too much? I mean, you look at those away games. Man City away, Chelsea away, Man United away. You know, Cardiff are fighting for their lives. West Brom, Swansea have got to pick up points. So I think given given those six fixtures and given the opposition are all fighting for, for so much... Yeah, I think that's going to be very, very difficult for Sunderland to uh, pick up the points needed. Yes, we shall see two games in hand on their rivals, but will it be enough? To the Hawthorns next, which witnessed its second six-goal thriller in a row as Spurs came back from 3-0 down to draw 3 all late on with West Brom. Thanks to that very last-minute Christian Eriksen equaliser. I mean, quite a game, but what a comeback from your old club from three goals down. Yeah, but it shouldn't be able to come back like this. What, I mean, Spurs do it week in, week out. I mean, how many times have, there been, have, we, have we seen where Spurs, their body language at the start of a game, you know, hands on the hips, they're looking around, they don't look ready and bang out the traps come West Brom. They can score goals and they do score goals and, and they did. And, you know. Why does that happen? It's a mindset within a club. You sense sometimes at, at, at certain clubs there's an atmosphere that permeates its way through from the bottom right through to the top and there's something just not quite clicking but it's been that way for, for quite a while. So it, it, it's a mindset with players and that, that's got to come down to the manager first and foremost 
but it also has to come down from a club and how they're set up and how the players are working and training and feeling like they are a, a top four team. Similarly, you've got to say that the, the manner in which they came back and Ericsson got the third goal and equalised and a stunning goal it was, shows great character. But you've got to have a much better attitude at the start of games. They're now six points off fourth place, having played a game more. So it looks like it's going to be the Europa League as their only hope. But let's hear from two of the goal scorers in that match. West Brom's Chris Brunt, but first of all, Spurs' saviour, Christian Eriksen. If you give a goal away, uh, away in the first, uh, first minute, then you know it's going to be a long day. Uh, but luckily we came back and yeah, I think that's the only positive thing we have today. I think everybody wanted to prove uh, that we're not that bad like we, we were in the first half. And, uh, and hopefully and luckily we did that as well, that we're not that bad. I even think we should have won, but yeah, we still got one point. It was disappointing, but you know we haven't won a lot of games this season. So obviously being three 0 up, we sort of naturally, you know, it's not a position we've been in too many times. So uh, you know to concede the goal straight after the third goal as well was a bit disappointing. So you know that's uh, sort of sums us up this season. You know we sort of we haven't made things easy for ourselves at all, and you know we're still not uh, we're still not out of the woods yet. And I believe a couple of other results haven't gone too well for us today. So you know we're going to have to keep digging in. We've got a difficult game next week away to Man City, and you know we've got some games coming up that we need to take some points out of. That was West Brom's Chris Brunt. After that match, they sat 16th in the table, three points above the bottom three, but with a game in hand. Well, the last fixtures, five of them, Manchester City away, West Ham at home, are looking pretty solid, Arsenal away, Sunderland away, and Stoke home. Will they get enough? Do you fancy them? If they tighten up at the back, you know, they've got to stop conceding goals. They're scoring goals yeah, to a degree. What's interesting when you come towards the end of the season is obviously you, you look at West Ham who have been in great form, you look at Stoke who have been in fantastic form, but when teams become comfortable, their form can very quickly dip. So I think, you know, you can't judge how the season is going to finish just on current recent form. I think West Brom... Well, I mean, I'm looking at that, you know, Man City away, Arsenal away, Sunderland away. It, it's going to be tough for them. There are going to be twists and turns with this season. It, we've said it all season. There's been 10 or 12 teams in potential relegation problems. It's still certainly six or seven who've got problems. West Brom are clearly one of them. They're not going to get much, I don't think, at Man City this weekend. That West Ham game is, is going to be crucial in the Sunderland game. I, they cannot leave it to the last minute with, with Stoke. It's going to be fascinating again. It's another <laughs> intriguing story, isn't it? It's the Barclays Premier League. They might well leave it to the last minute. We shall see. Coming Probably. up, <laughs> we'll speak to the Fulham captain, Breda Hangeland, about their chances of another great escape. You're listening to the official Barclays Premier League podcast with Jackie Oakley. Speaking of influential captains, we recently caught up with a hugely significant club skipper from the early Barclays Premier League years. Former England defender Gary Mabbott led Tottenham for 11 years, alongside John Scales, of course, for some of them. In the late 1980s and early 90s, he was there, and he's been discussing his experiences with Spurs and the pressures involved in leading a top-flight side. Being made club captain is a huge responsibility. You have to speak speak for the team as a whole, whether things are going well or things are going badly. You have to you know, look after the, the team, try and get the best out of the team, you know, both on and off the field. Certainly that, you know, that, that was tested on numerous occasions. Uh, a certain um, Paul Gascoigne uh, used to call me a few sleepless nights on occasions. The first game I missed in the first season he was there was at home to Manchester United and Paul got sent off after 20 minutes uh, for dissent. So again, uh, yeah, those sort of things, dealing with players, dealing with situations. But uh, you know, I revelled in it. Um, I love the responsibility. I love the role that I was given. And describe your relationship with the Spurs fans and how you managed to maintain such a strong bond as captain. The relationship I had with the Spurs fans uh, was fantastic from, from literally from the time I joined. I got in the side for the first game of the season at home to Luton Town. 
and in the first five minutes, uh, Glenn Hoddle took a free kick. I made a run in the box, and as always, Glenn put the ball right on my head, and, and I scored in the first five minutes of my debut. And I think you know, the fans you know, took to me from that moment, and since then and, until today, I've had a most fantastic relationship with the Spurs supporters. What does Tottenham Hotspur mean to you as a club overall, You know, looking back on a 16-year career? What I love about Tottenham is that, obviously, the, the footballing side and the way things go on the field and everything, of course, that, that's the, the main part of the club. But what we do behind the scenes, we do a fantastic amount of work in the community. We have a football foundation uh, that does a lot of work that never gets recognised because, uh, unfortunately, at times, uh, good news doesn't sell newspapers. Uh, but what we do behind the scenes you know, is part of the club's business. We do a lot of work overseas. We have our own academy in South Africa. Our own players pay to have a, a house built in SOS Children's Village in Rustenburg in South Africa. The players pay every year to fund the children that, to, to go to school um, you know, from this school. So you know, whilst everyone talks about the huge business involved in football in this day and age, people talk about how the money that players get paid. I have to be honest and say that uh, you know, what Tottenham you know, does as a club off the field is as important as what it does on the field. Jordan, you played with Gary when you first joined Spurs in the mid-90s. Do you echo those sentiments about the amount of work that the club does off the field? I do. I mean, you know, I, I see what they do. I'm, I'm an ambassador with the Football Foundation. The Football Foundation is the biggest sports charity in this country and it's funded by the Barclays Premier League, by the FA and the government through Sports England. But the club do a huge amount of work with the foundation work. They go and they, have a, they understand the significant role they have within the community, as I think all Barclays Premier League clubs do. They all take it. And in a way, you look at individual clubs and relevant to other sort of businesses, if you like, the turnover and the size of them as a, as a financial institution, the percentage of money they put in and commit and the work and the way that they go about that work in the community is often overlooked, but it, it, it is so significant within those areas. Uh, many times it's disadvantaged areas, as, as, you know, up and around White Hart Lane is. It doesn't go unnoticed by the locals. Maybe to the wider public it often is, but uh, fantastic work they do. I'm, I'm very uh, aware how good a, a job Spurs do. Uh, I'm always grateful to support them whenever I can, actually. I'm here with the former Liverpool and Spurs defender, John Scales, as we focus our attention now on the bottom half of the Barclays Premier League. And we'll start with another crucial encounter, this time between Fulham and Norwich at Craven Cottage at the weekend. And it was a must-win game for both teams. Fulham came out on top only just, though, after a first-half Hugo Rodiega goal secured a narrow 1-0 victory. Manager Felix Magat insists he's always been confident of the Cottagers retaining their Barclays Premier League status. Even the last weeks... I was hopeful that we are able to manage the situation and to win some games. And now we have won two games in a row and that helps us yeah, to be confident. And yeah, now I think there are more people who they are meaning that we will stay in the league. Well, that was the Fulham manager. And I'm pleased to say that joining us on the line now is their club captain, Breda Hangeland. Thanks for coming on the show, Breda. No problem. Pleasure. Well, that victory at the weekend was absolutely vital for you. Just give us an idea as to what the feeling was like when Hugo Rodiega scored just before half-time. Uh, well, big relief, of course. Uh, we are under um, considerable pressure these days. So um, to score a goal and go ahead, obviously, uh, after a first half that was not very good from our, from our point of view, uh, was a nice feeling. And, and to go on to win the game, um, like you said, vital. How confident were you at the time that you were going to hold on to that lead? I can't 
say I was overly confident. You know, we did we didn't play too well in the first half, and um, it's always tight games in a relegation battle, and, and especially on on Saturday. So um, I didn't rest until the final whistle, but uh, it was really nice to to get the three points that we needed. I bet we have a Twitter question for you, brother. At Joshua Jags asks, what's the team's spirit like right now? I would say it's it's better now. You know, uh, football is very black and white, and and now that we have uh, back-to-back wins, we've given ourselves a, a chance to to stay in the league, and uh, and you can see that on the mood around the camp. It's it's better now. Why do you think you've left it so late to secure those back-to-back wins? <laughs> well, if I had a simple answer to that, uh, I'd probably be a manager. Um, it's been a rocky ride this season for sure. Uh, we're not we're not happy with with how we've played and performed, but hopefully we we have found a little bit of form towards the end. And when the pressure's really on, maybe that's when you um, manage to pick yourself up. So uh, hopefully that's what's happening. Yeah, and in terms of the confidence those two wins in a row have given you, has that been a, a massive boost to the squad? Yeah, I think it has. I think we have kept fighting all the time, but it's hard at times when you when you do your best and you still not getting any reward for it so to finally get two wins in the last two games it does us a world of good in terms of confidence and and hopefully we can take that into the remaining games. Were you a little bit worried when you heard that Norwich were changing their manager because of course there can be that new manager lift in their first game? Uh, I wouldn't say worried. You know, we we can only uh, we can only worry about ourselves in this game. Other teams and clubs can go about their business. We have enough to deal with uh, on our own plate. So um, uh, we prepared well, well for the game and and uh, luckily managed to win. So uh, we'll try and uh, do the same again this week. Your latest manager, Felix Magat, took over in February. He's got a reputation suggesting that he'd be working you pretty hard. Is that how it's transpired? I think it's fair to say we, we've trained hard and, and worked hard since he came in, uh, no question about that. But I would say we're, we're prepared to do anything to stay in the league. If that means uh, no days off and hard work, then so be it. No days off? Well, we've actually had a couple of days off now after um, beating Norwich, which was nice. But the general rule has been a lot of training, a lot of hard work and preparation, as it should be in our, in our um, situation. So... Uh, Hopefully it looks like things are turning around a little bit for us. So is that right that Mr Magat didn't give you any days off until you beat Norwich? I think we've had one or two here and there, but we have definitely been uh, having a, a busier schedule than uh, than we had before he came. That's um, There's no question on that. <laughs> so it's quite an incentive there for you to pick up another win, just to be able to put your feet up a little bit. I think it's much easier to work with him when we win. Uh, that's probably the case with any manager, but uh, with him more so. He's an easier boss to deal with when we've <laughs> won the weekend. You face Spurs at White Hart Lane next and then you've got Hull City at home, Stoke away and Palace at home. Just how important have the Fulham supporters been for you in recent times? Oh, they've been incredible. Probably the most impressive uh, game for me was uh, away to Villa when uh, I think we had 3,000 fans uh, travelling up there. Uh, which is, I think that's the best support I've seen away from home uh, since I've been at the club. So that's that's quite a long time. So uh, they really pre- play their part um, in hopefully turning the season around towards the end. Uh, and um, we're hoping that's going to continue the last uh, four games. One of the key issues this season, of course, Brady, you'll be fully aware of, is, is the number of goals conceded, 74 in 34. Can you understand why Fulham have struggled so much defensively this season? Well, again, I think there's no there's no simple answer to that, uh, other than to say it's obviously, obviously way too many. We've had loads of changes, uh, not only uh, in terms of managers, but also playing-wise. You know, there's been players in and out, uh, a lot of different back fours. So we haven't really had a settled team or back four like you ideally want. So uh, that might be part of the explanation, but surely that's not good enough. And word about your goalkeeper at the weekend, David Stockdale, who pulled off some absolutely outstanding saves to keep you in the game. Yeah, 
uh, he was uh, the man of the match for me, no question about that. He is an incredible goalkeeper, and uh, and you can really see how much he cares about the club. So uh, for him to be the star performer, um, I think David deserved that, and and uh, hopefully he'll uh, he'll be there to save us when we need it again. Just a final question from Twitter for you, brother. At Hamza Frances wants to know: At the end of your career, would you like to go back to Norway and play in the domestic league there? Um, that's something I'm thinking about. Uh, I think it would be probably a disappointment, to be honest, to go back to Norway after having played in the Premier League. So uh, I think my plan as it is now is to try and hold out as long as I can uh, here and then make a decision afterwards. Um, I think uh, this is the best league in the world and, and to go anywhere after this would probably be uh, a disappointment. So uh, if I had to choose now, I'd say no. OK, Breda Hangeland, thanks so much for joining us. No problem. Thank you. So, John, it sounds like Felix Magat mm. is something of a tough taskmaster, and he's had to be in terms of sorting out the defence. Interesting that Breda said there that having an unsettled back four has really affected them. You'll know that as a, a former centre-half yourself, how that can work. Yeah, it's very tough having an unsettled thing, and it's certainly affected them <laughs> conceding 74 goals. I mean, that's a, a really damning sort of statistic. I think the, one of the worst statistics in the in the Barclays Premier League. But Magat has come in and he's done a fantastic job. He is a taskmaster. He's got them working hard. He's getting them fitter every single day, relentless. You know, work at it, work at it, work at it. And it's paying dividends and they've got a chance of escaping now. And the, the clubs around them are looking at Fulham saying, hey, they could well be the one that escapes here and that puts more pressure on us. But, you know, going back to the point, as a centre-half, I hated having a, a mixture of a, a different defensive partnership. You're never quite sure of building up that relationship. Very, very difficult circumstances. Breda hasn't had a fantastic season himself, but, you know, a lot of that is down to the change of personnel week in, week out. Well, Fulham are now third from bottom, having been rooted to the bottom for quite some time. They're just two points behind Norwich now. As for them, it was a, a baptism of fire for their new manager, Neil Adams. But the former Canaries youth team coach was proud of his side's efforts. Again, we probably deserve to win. Felix will probably say differently, but uh, we were delighted with the play. We've done everything but score, really, but obviously that's that's what's cost us today. But I think we've got to pick up points as simple as that. I don't think 32 points is going to be enough. The fixtures, we've looked at the fixtures there, and, and teams are going to be fighting for them, and, and we're one of those teams. We know the running we've got, but we're in it. And as long as we get that commitment and desire and... You know, when, when we ask a game plan from a team, they go and carry it out. I, I'll be delighted with it, providing we get the goals. Well, Neil Adams there mentions the run-in. You can't escape the fact that they play Liverpool at home next, Manchester United away, Chelsea away and Arsenal at home. Do you give them any chance of survival? Yeah, I think that's quite easy running. I think those four <laughs> games, you got, uh, what, six points? 32, so take you to 38. I think a win and three draws there will be uh, be just just good for them. Look, Neil Adams has come in and some of the pressure has been taken off Norwich in some ways within the club, but when you're down at the bottom of the table and you've got the players that Norwich have and you're suddenly sucked right into it, tough, tough games for them. It's, it's you know, if they, if they stay in the Barclays Premier League, then they will absolutely deserve from this position on in. Well, another team in the bottom three to secure a priceless victory at the weekend were Cardiff. They pulled off a shock 1-0 win at Southampton, the first there since October 1962. It was defender Juan Cala who was the unlikely hero with a fantastic long-range winner. And that was a goal that reignited Cardiff's survival chances. But do they really believe now, bearing in mind the three points from safety? I think they will do. We've heard about the, the, the issues with teams getting leaked and everything else and the, and the, the issues with that. Those little things can bring a club together, bizarrely, because it suddenly focuses the attention. And I know that Ole Gunnar Solskjaer will be using everything he possibly can to get this team motivated and positive in whichever way he can. And you can turn the negative into a positive. And, and that's what Cardiff have got to do. Fantastic result to go to Southampton. 
you know, a team Southampton who have just lost their way a little bit because they're in maybe in the comfort zone. But uh, you can't take anything away from that fantastic result. Exactly what they need. And the run in again, you know, we've talked about it all, all, all this show. Very, very tough. But when you've got the players that Cardiff have, they, they've got to keep that belief and, and believe that they can get you know, enough points to keep them safe as well. Well, the Cardiff City captain, Stephen Colker, said it was important to bounce back from last week's home defeat by Crystal Palace. We had to put right uh, performance of last week. You know, we know that wasn't good enough. And today, I think we, should, we, should, we were out there. We showed a lot of character. And we put in a good performance. I think there was you know, standout performances from, from Marshall and uh, obviously Juan Carlo with a goal. Can't get ourselves too excited now. We've got four, you know, real tough games. And, uh, you know, we're going to have to win at least three of them to stay in the league. You know, we'll get carried away. We need to go and uh, get back-to-back results now. Obviously, we Stoke at home. So I'm sure the fans will be right behind us. And, uh, you know, we'll have a good week's training and go into it with a full of confidence. So Cardiff's last four games, Stoke City at home, Sunderland away. It seems everybody's playing Sunderland. Yeah, but I can't... It, does, it? Yeah. <laughs> it seems that way. Newcastle away and Chelsea at home. David Marshall, the goalkeeper, has been outstanding for them this season. Just how crucial do you think he's going to be in those games? Well, he's going to be crucial, but I mean, the whole defensively, they've got to be much better. I think they've conceded 64 goals, probably second only to Fulham. Uh, that's that's a pretty uh, poor return. And you can see that many goals, it's difficult. David Marshall, yeah, in, in those games, is going to be crucial, as is Corker, who I think had a, had a very, very good season. He made a big decision to go there. Again, you look at Stoke, you look at Sunderland fighting for their lives, Newcastle all over the place and Chelsea. I mean, they've got to pick up, I think, points against Stoke. And if they can pick up, you know, a good result there, then that'll set them up for the, the for the final three games after that. Now, to one of the form teams in the league next, as Crystal Palace made it three wins in a row after beating Aston Villa 1-0, with midfielder Jason Punchen in form. Once again, the match winner for them. Here's their manager, Tony Pulis. It's been an exciting season, whether you've been down the bottom of the league or, or whether you're at the top of the league. That goes for you know a lot of the clubs who are still involved in trying to get over the line to stay in the league for next season, or the people who are trying to win the league. And you know, like you say, you know, Chelsea, Man City, Liverpool, you know, it's it's fantastic that they're they're still fighting it out. We play the teams. We play we play Man City and Liverpool at home. Um, but our you know our focus is not worrying about whether we stop them from doing anything. Our focus is making sure that we set sail and cross the line. Everton away then coming up for their midweek Tuesday night. Then West Ham away, Manchester City home, Liverpool home and Fulham away. They're on 37 points as we speak. Just the one more win needed for them. Are they almost home and dry? They are almost home and dry. What an incredible job he's done there. Punch and scoring again, a remarkable record he's just got recently. And But I think he, Tony Pulis will be absolutely delighted and relieved that they've got 37 points on the table because you look at Everton away, very tough. Man City at home, Liverpool at home, you know, tough, tough running. But uh, they're going to have a say in the title race. And I think that's the sort of relief those players are going to feel, the excitement they're going to feel to be part of that, playing against those sort of players and teams. Um, it's It should be a, a good finish to the season for them. Well, Palace almost safe. Aston Villa, though, are anything but. They're now just four points above the bottom three and manager Paul Lambert has been reflecting on where the weekend's results leave his side. It's more or less the same even before the game. You know you've got to get another one or so. Some results went for us, some went against us. But you've got to, you've got to go to the next game and win it. That's always the, the feeling. You, you can't let it manifest. We have to stop the sequence of losing four games. And that's got to stop. And today there wasn't, wasn't too much in that. But you can't let your, you've got to keep going. You don't let your head go down. And that, you go and try and win the next game. 
Aston Villa seem to be the side this year that is the big club that's being dragged down into that relegation battle. They're 14th in the table, just four points above the relegation zone. Are you surprised that they're struggling this year? Well, I think last year's season, you know, Aston Villa, very young side, naive at times. Whatever it is, it's cost them dear. They can't get a sort of a consistent run together, never have done. And they are right in it. I mean, Paul Faulkner, the chief executive, has come out and said, we, you know, the club and the fans and the manager and players, everybody's got to pull together. You can sense there's a real feeling of, of uh, nervousness around this club, and, and rightly so. They're in a predicament. I think they will have enough to survive and, and stay up. I think they've got enough quality in this team to score goals, to win the games. It is tough, and, and again, you look at players and how they react. You know, players at Sunderland, Cardiff, Fulham, Norwich, they've been down there, they've been fighting relegation, and in, in a way they sort of get used to the battle week in, week out. Aston Villa, one or two players might actually, this could be a shock and a shock too much. So that's the vulnerability they've got. But they've, they've really got to pull together now because they've had a very disappointing recent run of fixtures. Just five home league wins all season out of 17 matches tells a story in itself. And they have five games remaining, starting with Southampton at home, Swansea away, Hull at home, Manchester City away and Spurs away to finish off with. Now, rounding off the weekend's results, another 1-0, this time at the Britannia Stadium, where Stoke City continued their good recent run with victory over Newcastle. That was Stoke's fourth win in the last five. How impressed have you been with the job that Mark Hughes has done in the second half of the season in particular? Yeah, he's done a brilliant, brilliant job, and we all know what Stoke's sort of style of play was and has been over the years, and, you know, very strong, very formidable at the back, quite direct, but, you know, he has adapted that. He's been able to keep their resilience and their form and everything good about Stoke. But he's brought that dimension to them where they're pleasing on the eye, they play good football. And, you know, that fourth win in the last five years is testament to the fact that the players have been able to adapt slowly without losing that resilience they've got. So, yeah, he's done a fantastic job there, no doubt about it. And his match winner on Saturday was defender Eric Peters, who netted his first goal for six years. But was it a cross or was it a shot, Eric? I would tell Tim Cruz it was a shot ball. It was a cross, but sometimes you need a, a bit of luck in, in football, and uh, today I had it. Beginning of the season, we showed what, and we tell the people what we want to do. And during the season, we're getting better and better in it. And I think uh, we're still growing and we still can do better. But I think we, we, we play good. We have the confidence to play, so it's good for us. I think we knew the answer to that question anyway, <laughs> but at least he was honest. They're not always. Yeah, it was a test for him, wasn't it, to check his honesty, yeah. <laughs> Well, at the other end of the form table are Newcastle. They've now lost four league games in a row. The second time they've done so this season is their manager, Alan Pardew. Well, it's tough, especially when you're, you know, Newcastle. We're not expected to do that. So, uh, but three, you know, they've been tough, tough, tough four fixtures they have. And uh, hopefully next week we're at home and we can get ourselves a win. I'd like to see um, from our team uh, certainly a win or two um, that's going to secure our position and secure our confidence uh, going into the summer. We've got a good opportunity in the summer to bring players in and we need to get that right, but we need to get ourselves a couple of wins just to steady everybody down. Newcastle at home to Swansea next and how they could do with a win there to lift spirits. Things really not good at the club in recent times. Do you envisage a lot of changes this summer, John? Yeah, I think there will be changes. Exactly what happens there, I don't know. But, you know, you, they, they should be looking up the table. At the moment, they're looking at clubs below them and, you know, Stoke might be motivated to get above them. West Ham might be motivated to get above them. You know, possibly Crystal Palace. They've got to be looking up, at, you know, above and Southampton and, and trying to finish as strongly as possible because, you know, that does make a significant difference in the summer when you're trying to attract players is how you finish the season, the momentum you've got and, and Alan Pardew's confidence in, in who he can bring in. 
Yes, Newcastle in ninth place, just three points above Stoke City after their recent revival. Well, before we go, let's have a look at this weekend's Barclays Premier League fixtures. Before then, though, there are a few midweek fixtures on Tuesday and Wednesday, which may already have happened by the time you're listening to us. But they are Tuesday night, Arsenal versus West Ham. Wednesday, the rearranged fixtures of Everton against Crystal Palace, Manchester City at home to Sunderland. On Saturday, the lunchtime kickoff, Tottenham at home to Fulham. And then in the afternoon, West Ham, Crystal Palace. Newcastle Swansea, Aston Villa Southampton, Cardiff City Stoke and the late game Chelsea with that phenomenal home record in the Barclays Premier League under Jose Mourinho against rock bottom Sunderland. And on Sunday the early game Norwich at home to Liverpool will Suarez score yet another hat-trick at Carrow Road. Later on it's Hull against Arsenal in a preview if you like to the FA Cup final to come and then Everton versus Manchester United. I would ask you normally to try and pick out one of those fixtures. but It's impossible isn't it? You can't. You can't. I mean, it's just another incredible weekend for the Barclays Premier League. You look down there, I've, I've ticked three. I've ticked Tottenham Fulham. I think Fulham, you know, going to Tottenham and a London derby, that's a great game to look forward to. Sunderland-Chelsea, Sunderland, you know, shocking form. But, I mean, I remember back in 2010, you know, when Sunderland went there, I think they had Welbeck and Jan and... I knew I scored that incredible goal, but, you know, that was four years ago. Things have changed a lot, but that's an intriguing game. I think the two that stand out, Norwich, Liverpool. Can Liverpool keep this momentum, get get their 11th win and take a step close to the title? Of course, I'm looking at that with, with great intrigue and, and interest and, and optimism. <laughs> and red glasses. And red glasses, absolutely. Everton, Manchester United, David Moyes going back to Everton. And who'd have thought, you know, he'd be going back in the circumstances he is just, you know, less than 12 months after leaving. That's another outstanding fixture to look forward to. Well, that's pretty much all we have time for on this week's show. Before we go, though, a reminder, you can win tickets to watch your club via our Barclays Twitter ticket competition. All you have to do is tell us why you are football. Here are a couple of recent winners who've written to us. Lisa Holloway says, I've seen Stoke lose to Torquay and Bury in the lower leagues. Now I watch us beat the big teams. I don't regret a minute of it. And Chelsea fan Paul Butler, I made a 54-hour round trip to Munich, spent two hours finding new shoes for my blistered feet, then saw Didier Drogba the winning penalty pure ecstasy hashtag you are football thank you john scales for your company don't forget to have a go at this week's trivia teaser on sunday liverpool's martin skirtle became the barclays premier league's highest scoring defender so far this season when he netted his seventh goal of the campaign we want you to tell us the highest scoring barclays premier league defender of all time i can tell you exclusively it's not john scales if you think you know the answer though tweet it to at barclays footy with a y or post it to the barclays football facebook page and we will reveal all on the site later on this week. We'll be back next week when we'll be looking back at what will no doubt be another dramatic weekend of fixtures at both the top and the bottom of the table, including a tough trip for title-chasing Liverpool at relegation-threatened Norwich and what's sure to be a, a lively reception for David Moyes at Goodison Park as Everton host Manchester United. But until then, from John Scales and from me, Jackie Oakley, goodbye. You've been listening to the official podcast of the Barclays Premier League, brought to you by Barclays.